So a warm welcome everybody to the third of our uh, retour series. Um, the first stage of L London um, is gratefully supported by the British Council for Offices. Um, I'm Neil Webster of Remit Consulting and I'm your uh, chair for the afternoon. Um, some of you have been with us on bikes around London learning about active travel investments. Today, a bit more sedentary, definitely drier in here and a definitely a bigger peloton. But just quickly say why Remit's um, been doing some work in this area that's uh, relevant. Um, we produced the 2017 uh, BCO report. Um, we have done a review of a 700 building portfolio over the last 12 months. And we were involved in helping an investor try and prevent the need for a building of a multi-story park car park. And we're just about to start on helping to make a multi-site um, 10,000 employee uh, location car-free by 2026. So I'd like to introduce the uh, team for you today. Um, on the top there we have our panel, um, Annie from 22 uh, Bishopsgate, and, and this is the order in which people are speaking, uh, Max Wilson from Spokesafe, uh, David and Rob together from Core and Make, and uh, last but not least, definitely not least, uh, Stuart from London Cycling Campaign. As I said, um, I'm chairing and uh, Melissa is joining me as she's helping to uh, coordinate the questions, which I hope you'll be asking as we uh, go along. Um, so that, so um, this is our first of our four stages. Um, after London, we'll be touring the rest of the UK. Uh, then we'll be going on to Europe and then the rest of the world. So please do, us on, do join us for those. If indeed you have projects that you think will be relevant for those future sessions, please contact us and there'll be a link at the end and you'll be receiving um, an email uh, a day or so after the event. So please use the question and answer slot, not the chat please for questions. And we'll try and take them all together at the end, uh, but there are, if there are any that are presenter specific, we might tuck those in as we go along. Uh, you can share through uh, uh, hashtag retour cycle and we'll definitely be finishing at um, uh, six o'clock because I promised that to uh, Nick of Club Peloton and his host, Ned Bolting. So without further ado, I'd like to hand over to Annie Pantelli from 22 Bishopsgate. Um, as she brings up her slides, I'm gonna do a bit of um, name checking. Um, this all started from um, me having a call from Stuart Lipton many years ago. And uh, we visited 22 Bishopsgate two years ago, um, actually in the flesh. So Annie's going to bring us up to date. Thanks, Annie. Thank you very much. Um, hello, everyone. I um, introduced, I'm Annie Pantelli, and I look after the operations at 22 Bishopsgate. Delighted to be here today to give you an insight into our active commuter park. Um, so 22 Bishopsgate was designed um, as the building that you'd want to work in. We see ourselves as a people-led workspace a place for innovative and modern occupiers. So what is the active commuter park at 22 Bishopsgate? Originally called the bike park, what we quickly recognised is that the, this space is for more than just our cycling community. It is a space designed to support all of our active commuters. So that's anyone running, cycling or walking. And so to start our mission of making active travel accessible to all, the bike park was renamed the active commuter park. So what's inside? The ACP includes over 1,700 bike spaces, 
1,372 lockers, 75 showers, as well as electric bike charging stations. And the bike spaces come in a range of different options, including double tier arcs, sliding cradles, double tier racks, tracks, hoops, and cradles. Our lockers are a mixture of permanent and day use lockers. Our changing areas include towel services, ironing facilities, clothing dryers, and fully stocked showers. The ACP has Wi-Fi and full mobile coverage throughout. And we have bike wash stations and the Saris maintenance stations, which are not only fitted with the tools that you would expect, but also come with a handy QR code so that the active commuters can scan and learn how to use those tools for their bikes. We've also partnered with Brompton Bikes to provide a rental zone for those who want a more flexible approach to active commuting. And we see that as a great alternative to public transport or private hire for those that need to get around town during the day. Our mission for the space is to create a space where active commuters can thrive. Before we started curating our plans on how to operate this space, we spoke to our occupiers. We asked those already actively commuting what was the most important to them in an end of trip facility. Aside from the unanimous response of a towel service, the answer was a safe place to leave my bike. It is important to, to us that our occupiers feel safe and secure in the ACP and that we have security measures that do not slow down or hamper their commute. And we have a range of physical and technical security measures that ensure this. The ACP is available for all of our occupiers. Um, they access through a digital pass, which they get on the 22 app, which is how you get in and around our building. Um, at the entrance, there's a set of stairs and a bike ramp that allows our active commuters to make their way down into the basement level one. And there is also a lift available at that entrance for those that prefer. Our active commuters will then be able to access the main lobby uh, using some lifts directly from the ACP up to the main lobby. And they can also do the same journey in reverse at any time throughout the day. So we'll take a look at what's inside. Uh, the ACP is filled with lots of thoughtful extras, stylish design features and sensible additions. Simple and easy access, easily accessible directly from the lobby and vice versa. With up to over 1,700 racks in colour-coded bays, some of the spaces are already in use before our tenants have moved in by our 22 team. And as mentioned already, our electric bike charging stations, lockers for those with folding bikes and bright wayfinding to keep you feeling inspired. We have a big space with lots of fantastic amenities in it. So what are we going to do with it? Our mission is to ensure, make sure choosing a greener, healthier route to work is easy. How we operate the ACP um, and how we use and enliven that space is guided like everything that we do and every decision that we make at 22 Bishopsgate by our commitments. Health and wellness, perhaps an obvious one, but we all know that being active benefits your physical and mental health. Our ACP gives people options to be more active. Through our dedicated team and curated programme of events and activations, we will be demonstrating how actively travelling can enhance and maintain good health and wellbeing. Learning and education. Our team, host, our team that host and run the Active Commuter Park are passionate active travel and cycling enthusiasts, but we are always learning. We are committed to growing our own knowledge from cycling safety to the best running shoes for your stride. And we are committed to sharing everything we know with our occupiers, but also learning everything that they have to share with us too. What is important to us is enabling those that don't actively commute to do so, understanding what barriers they have, what help they need, 
or simply encouraging them of the benefits to traveling this way. We've partnered with Scott Kang, founder and CEO of Active Things and Run Friendly. And Scott is an industry expert who is advising, guiding and supporting us on our mission. Inclusion and diversity. We have cavity sliding doors in our changing areas, which enable flexibility. Um, we would track usage patterns and demand um, and adjust the showers and locker capacities as gender demand changes. Um, of course, the inclusion of DDA bathroom facilities um, is important. And they also double up as good unisex amenities as well. Um, and we also have several spaces dedicated to enable parking for a variety of non-standard cycles, which are used by mobility impaired cyclists. Sustainability in the environment goes without saying that an, act, uh, an increase in active travellers has a positive impact on the environment, uh, reducing carbon footprint and supporting measures to improve air quality. But we don't stop there. To stock the space, we reviewed various options, investigating and sourcing the manufacturing, product quality and logistics, as well as disposal of each item after its use. Our bike wash station is optimised for strong cleaning power without demanding um, damaging bicycle bearings while also minimising water usage. Our shower and hand wash are all eco-label accredited. This is the highest standard for environmental and sustainability in Europe. Our paper washroom products are all METSA products made from renewable wood resources and the source of pulp conforms to sustainable forestry standards. And our towel service uses a process to reuse the rinse water, eliminating the need for two rinses. And our, the washing machines are steam powered as opposed to electricity and gas alternatives. So I've spoken a lot about what we have, our vision, our mission and our commitments, which is all great talk. But what that but that all means nothing unless you have the right people to now bring it to life, to activate the space and enable and encourage its use. We all talk about space as a service. Let's talk about active commuting as a service. And this starts with our team who look after this space. Pat is our ACP supervisor. She's a national standard cycling instructor and she's also a cycling mechanic, bike mechanic. And she's supported by Yannick, a sports science graduate who credits his positive attitude to keeping active. And the team already run activation schemes ahead of our tenants moving in. Um, they run monthly news on the move communications to help and encourage the active commuters in our team. They ran a campaign in the last November lockdown called Run 22. The goal was to complete 22 kilometres together as a team. The objective was simple, to get everyone active and inspire them to get up, out and on their feet. No need to go fast or far, but just to get the steps in. And we had people taking part that hadn't even owned a pair of trainers before 2020. So eight teams, 38 active commuters in total covering 176 kilometres. The team are always looking for ways to engage and support our active commuter uh, community, be it the most environmentally friendly running shoes, ways to recycle old kit, the latest cycling and running routes, and even playlists to enjoy on your lunchtime run. And to endorse all of this, we are currently going through the cycle score accreditation, where we are aiming for nothing short of 100 out of 100. So looking to the future, when we spoke to our occupiers, we asked those that have considered active commuting, but don't currently, why not? What is stopping you? There are some common themes, including practicalities of the school run before and after work, the expense and knowledge of the right kit to get started, but the standout theme amongst all that we spoke to was safety. Safety running, safety cycling, and even walking. And we're really looking forward to working with our colleagues in the city who are actively making steps to increase street and road safety for active commuters. We are learning that trends suggest a growth in e-mobility and e-bikes, and there is an increased uptake on cargo bikes. 
We recognise a growth and increased profile of running everyday journeys and will continue to support campaigns and partnerships like RunSum. The UK is experiencing a cycling and running boom and growth in active travel. That's the one positive thing that has come out of this global crisis. As we return to work, hopefully one day soon, it is our mission to keep this boom consistent and growing. Uh, thank you, Annie, very much. You promised me nine minutes and you did it in nine minutes, which is perfect. Um, and we are having a bit of competition as to how fast we can uh, change the slides over. But I'm just going to quickly ask um, Annie, it must be great fun being part of an iconic building or actually an iconic community. Mm -hmm. For sure, of course. Good stuff. Um, excellent. So um, we'll move from a building to a, um, a membership uh, scheme, which uh, Max can explain. And then we'll um, be looking at another building after that. So uh, Max, um, over to you. Cool, well, thanks, Neil. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Max and I'm the founder of a, a London-based startup called Spokesafe. And I guess I'll spend the next five to 10 minutes telling you a little bit about what we're building, some of the things we've learned over the past six to 12 months, which have been roller coaster like they have for most people and then uh some of the things that we're going to be focusing on next year next year and how we're sort of repositioning the business to accommodate some of the things that we've learned so spokesafe really simply is a mobility platform that gives cyclists access to a network of secure parking spaces through an app and what that means from a cycling perspective is we effectively want to be like the boris bike network but for your own personal bike so wherever you need a space across the city you can just book one and access it and from a landlord or managing agent perspective, um, what we can help do with our platform is manage and monetize either existing cycle parking facilities or repurpose underutilized space to help it generate revenue. Uh, I started the business uh, in March 2019 uh, by opening our first site actually in an underground car park by Oxford Circus. And we opened our second site in July last year, that's in Soho, also in a car park with our next two sites opening over the course of the next three weeks, one in Mayfair and one in Covent Garden. And my original intention for the presentation was to show you a nice sort of slick video of users using our space and how nice the app was looking. Um, and then I suddenly realized there were gonna be like a few hundred people on this call and I thought that was an unnecessary risk. So what you're looking at instead is uh, four static photos of our first two units in Oxford Circus and Soho before they opened. Um, we've learned quite a lot since we opened the first couple of sites and particularly over the last six months or so. So I thought it'd be useful just sort of highlighting some of the things that we've learned and probably the most striking learning is just the sheer increase in the amount of people cycling in and using e-bikes. So to put that into perspective, when we opened Oxford Circus, we had about 10% of the spaces dedicated to e-bikes. Um, that wasn't enough. So we put 15% of the spaces in Soho. And that's proven not enough again. So Mayfair, which we're gonna open in two weeks time, will have about 25% of the spaces dedicated to e-bikes. And what we've seen as a result of that is actually a massively um, widening demographic uh, in our user base. So a lot more, um, a lot of older cyclists effectively that otherwise wouldn't be commuting into, into central London by a bike, which is great. Um, we've also got a lot of demand for, from the logistics market. So things like Uber Eats and Deliveroo and they have a very specific um, set of requirements that we need to meet. So they're, they're massively, uh, they take up a lot of space. So they need, typically they have electric bikes which take up more space and they have lots of bags and clothes that they use. And they're also high frequency users. So they need to be in and out of the site multiple times a day 
at virtually all times of the day. So what we'll see as a result of that, and probably in contribution with some emerging demand from the logistics providers like cargo bikes, is a more clear, clear delineation of the spaces um, between the users. So we'll probably end up with something like a logistics part of our sites, which uh, accommodates the sort of heavier users, and then the more standard commuter parking area, which is caters to the more sort of regular uh, business commuter. And then going forward in terms of emerging demand, I'm quite interested to keep an eye on the broader mobility mix and how we can incorporate uses like e-scooters and some of the unique challenges that they pose. So in terms of charging infrastructure, repair stations, all of those sort of things are something we'll be, um, we'll be looking at going forward. Uh, that covers some of the sort of physical aspects of our locations, but um, given we've been in a global pandemic for the last sort of 12 months or so, one of the things we've been able to have the time to focus on has actually been our technology. So over the last sort of six months or so, we've really been working on building out um, our app, which allows users to effectively, in one centralized areas, uh, area, find, reserve, pay for, and then subsequently access the spaces that they need. The important thing about this app is it can effectively be overlaid over to third, over third party assets. So for example, we can work with landlords that have existing cycle parking to upload their spaces to our platform and help them manage and monetize that space. Uh, this app went live in December and we will be over the course of the next few months uploading all of our new sites into the platform. And in conjunction with this, we've also been uh, working away at building a, or prototyping a new outdoor bike locker system. Uh, we've got the first prototype in Soho and what this is, is it's modular in design and it houses the bikes in their own individual storage units. Those are of course linked up to our app. So again, uh, form part of the network. And they're specifically designed to be aesthetically attractive so that they sort of contribute to the urban landscape. So the photo you're looking at now has some green space on the roof of it. Um, we can also incorporate things like seating onto the top of them so they, they form uh, street furniture more so than just strictly bike parking. Uh, in terms of piloting these, we've got the first one hopefully rolling out uh, in a to-be-announced location in South London uh, where we've got five locations set up and we'll put about five lockers in each location, so 25 lockers in total sometime over the next couple of months. And the, idea, the big idea going forward is that um, if you combine the lockers that we're rolling out, the hubs that we're opening, and then the third-party assets that we can help manage and monetize, we can provide cyclists with nothing more than a phone and their own bike, access to an entire network of spaces so that whether they're going to the office to work or to a shop or to a restaurant to spend leisure time, or whether they need to park their bike in a residential area around their house, they'll always have access to a place to do so. And then finally, just to round off, one of the big initiatives that we'll be focusing on this year is working more directly with landlords um, to help them manage and monetize their space. And uh, the technology that we're building and the operational platform that we have allows us to do this really, really efficiently. And a good use case for this is um, a site that we'll be opening in Covent Garden uh, probably second week of February, I think it is now, where we've worked with some of our partners at Cycling School to uh, take a vacant retail unit uh, and turn that into a, uh, into a secure cycle parking unit from the ground up. So what we've done is uh, provided a completely turnkey solution there. So from design to fit out to certification and then finally management and monetization, we've been able to get that site open or we will get it open within about six, six weeks of, of the green light of going ahead with the project. So that's something that's really exciting and something that we'll be focusing on 
quite heavily over the course of the next 12 months. And that's it from me. Thanks Thank very much, Max. Hmm. Um, whilst um, we hand over to uh, David and uh, Rob, um, we're going to run a bit of a poll, a um, bit of fun at the same time. We have um, knocking on 300 uh, people at the moment. Um, so um, if you see the poll, please um, answer. I can see um, questions uh, coming in already. And I think in some senses, both Annie and um, Max have answered uh, parts of those questions, but I'll leave that to uh, Melissa uh, later on. So it's great to see the contrast between a large building and the uh, concept that uh, Max has um, and you know, providing um, things around a, a, bigger um, a bigger area. Um, back to large buildings again. So um, we have David, who's the chief exec of CORE, and uh, Rob Lund from Lake Architects. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, so, hello, everyone. Um, nice to see you all, almost 300 of you. Glad I'm not having to take you around the site in person. Um, uh, what you're looking at here is um, our uh, development at 20 Ropemaker. Uh, for those who are trying to work out where it is, uh, the building on the left is City Point. Uh, and we're just beside, uh, just up from Moorgate Station, so we're just uh, on the north side of the city. Um, I've been working on this for about five years um, with Make Architects, and Rob's going to be speaking in a minute on behalf of our client, Old Park Lane Management. Um, as you can see from this photo, the, we're currently on site, um, the Skanska on site. Uh, it's a building of about 400,000 square feet, 23 stories, which will be uh, completed in 2023. Um, uh, one of the interesting things we'll talk about in terms of the cycling provision is uh, we did a prelet to Linklaters, the lawyers, uh, about 70%, 300,000 odd, um, uh, beginning of last year. And so uh, we had to change the spaces, but we'll go through that uh, later. A um, couple of uh, sustainability points uh, of which cycling is a big part here. Uh, we have been certified at design stage for Briam Outstanding 2018, which is great. It's the biggest build, commercial building, to, first one to get that accolade. And obviously, we're going for the highest well levels as well. A number of other uh, big initiatives. On, and it's a very uh, open, lots of opening windows, big roof terraces, and balconies. And this is just a slide to give you a sense of the location. Uh, with the city cluster on the left there and the shard in the distance. Thanks, David. Thank you, everyone. Uh, just as David mentioned as well, the other thing to note is uh, Ratemaker isn't actually in the city of London. It's, uh, it's in Islington, although it's on the border. So overall, in terms of numbers of spaces that are provided, we had to work both with the GLA standards, but also Islington's own. So we have 800 in total for long stay spaces, 13 for short stay visitors, 80 showers and a thousand lockers. In terms of the ground floor plan, we really wanted to create a, a true entrance to the building. So we have a split lobby, uh, which is shown with the two blue circles. The right hand reception is the link latest entrance, uh, the left hand one for the remaining office floors. And then in orange, uh, we've then created a dedicated front door that creates a third entrance to the overall building. The look and feel of that entrance, we really wanted to make it feel as if it was a true entrance to the space, a third principal entrance to the building, given that with 800 bikes, that's somewhere around 15 to 25% of the building population who will actually come to the building via bike. 
The other one we really wanted to work harder is how we can efficiently get people into the building, but also down into the basement where we've uh, located the cycle store. So what we've developed is actually a shallow staircase, similar to the one that we actually have in our office, if anyone's uh, been to visit it previously, where we've actually enabled, made it wide enough so that two people can come down at any point in the day, but also then create a lift that enables people who might have an impairment in terms of disability or potentially on a larger bike as well uh, to get down to the basement. The other thing to note is that because of the way in which our buildings are arranged, we've also got the showers down at basement two level. So there's a, a transition between the ground floor entrances, the cycle store, and then the showers at uh, the second basement. However, the other thing is people also don't just commute by bike. So what we've introduced is a lift that serves all three of those levels. So that if you were to, for instance, run to work on a morning, you could actually come into the front door travel straight down to the showers without having to navigate the cycle store and vice versa. The image on the left then also shows that uh, the way in which the shallow staircase extends down to the basement, but also uh, we've provided a visual link into the lobby so that the overall experience of coming into the building as a cyclist feels as equal importance if, as if you're coming into it by foot as well. So we have a a glazed screen at the end of the uh, cycle entrance then provides a nice visual look into the uh, main office lobby. As you come down uh, the shallow staircase we've also incorporated 13 short stay spaces which was uh, an Islington requirement. Similar to what Max was talking about obviously it's quite difficult trying to find uh, spaces on the high street when you're coming to, coming to work particularly if you're going to a meeting. So we worked with Islington and actually brought some of those spaces that we needed to provide as part of planning obligations into the building so that if you're if you're coming in you could actually book a space attend your meeting and then uh, park your bike within the building and then also to help people bring their bikes down into the basement we've actually integrated a series of power operated wheel ramps as well particularly as a lot of people might be coming in maybe not on carbon fiber bikes but potentially much heavier heavier bikes as well we also, as part of the project, worked with a specialist uh, five at heart to really uh, push the uh, efficiency of the space as well. So working with them and similar to what uh, Annie was talking about with 22, we've got a diverse range of cycle provisions. So it's no longer a case of just racking and stacking bikes. We've worked quite hard to get whilst the two tier bikes work quite efficiently. We've also got wall mounted stands for people who might not be able to use the two tiers a number of folding bike lockers and also accessible parking bays for people who might have used mobility scooters or hand cycles etc. We've also integrated electric charging points and water filling stations so that if you're wanting to have a drink on your way home or potentially going for laps around Regent's Park you can uh, quickly fill up your water bottle and head out for your, your journey home. Continuing down to the second basement level we've also got the showers, uh, we've got 80 in total uh, we then split the, uh, the shower layouts in such a way that actually you, uh, the primary tenant link laters have the blue section on the right and uh, on the left is the uh, rest of the building. We've arranged this on a 50-50 split. Uh, if I just drop back a couple of slides, so I skipped one, that's similar to how the basement one cycle parking is arranged. So we've arranged it in such a way that pre-elect tenant link laters have their own dedicated space in blue and then on the left hand side is the uh, remainder of the office floors and at this level as well because we have retail and an SME tenant 
we've also provided dedicated shower facilities for those tenants as well at this floor. I think as David mentioned with the pre-letting, one of the benefits of this scheme was actually having the flexibility in the overall design that we could carve up the space to create two dedicated spaces, one for the tenants to meet their demands, but also then have space left over so that the rest of the building could get the spaces that they would require as well. The showers themselves, they actually, we're continuing what the trend is at the moment on all office developments, which is to have high quality gym style uh, uh, provisions with uh, a rich use of materials which again follows the similar palette that we've got on the reception lobby but the other one we really wanted to work at is uh, the way in which the shower provisions uh, develop so just to get the numbers into the building the majority of the showers are actually uh, wet rooms with uh, generally communal changing but we also introduced what we've determined or termed uh, executive showers whereby you also have a sink within that space so if you wanted to shower and change in your own cubicle, you could do. But the thought behind these ones as well is that people might actually be wanting to use these facilities if they're potentially going to an event in the evening. They could come down to this part of the building, quickly change into their black tie and then head out to the events themselves. Obviously, uh, just to finish up as well, cycling to work isn't the only form of cycling that you can do. There's obviously the advent of Zwift, which has become even more popular during lockdown. Peloton classes as well. We've, uh, we've got five roof terraces, which is over 17,000 square feet of external amenity, where we've worked with the landscape architect Townsend to really carve open a series of spaces that could be quite flexible and allow spin classes to then take place during the working day or at any point in time as well. That's, I think that's it from, from David and I. So thank you very much. Thanks, thanks David and Rob. Um, I'll just share the results with you of the uh, survey. So our first three speakers will be really pleased to hear that 60% of our audience actually active commute at the moment, so may even be coming to one of your buildings. Um, and we also have um, uh, a sort of 13% who haven't got the facilities. So hopefully the new facilities that are coming down the line will be um, taken up by uh, those people. Um, what I would like to flag is that um, a lot of what I'm hearing is yeah, I wouldn't say London-centric, but reflective of London. So that's why we're looking at the rest of the UK um, uh, next month and then um, going over the channel um, after then. Um, uh, th th thanks to those. Um, we now have um, Stuart from uh, London Cycling Campaign. Um, I wonder first, Stuart, um, if you could just sort of give some thoughts on, on what you've heard so far from our other uh, three panellists before uh, doing your own presentation. Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Stuart Dring from the London Cycling Campaign. Um, if you haven't heard of London Cycling Campaign, we've been around for 40 years, um, campaigning for um, more cycling in London and also running community cycling um, projects. Um, it's great to hear what I've seen and these projects look amazing and, and just reflecting on what I've seen. Um, some of the stuff it's, it's great about some um, buildings that are creating a sense of community which is going to be particularly important post lockdown as more people want to walk and cycle and run into work and will need support to do that. It's also great seeing the cycle parking being prominent um, and not being hidden around the back by the bins as is in, as in some buildings. Um, and also uh, visitors and other users being able to use those facilities as well. So that I think is going to become more important as large developments start to become sort of the center of communities and link into more around their surroundings. And this may become a bit more important if we move towards the 15 minute city models um, that's been talked about and more on that later. 
it's also great to see the sort of unlocking and using of existing space for cycle parking. And this is like retrofitting cycle parking into areas of London that doesn't really have it. And it's also great to hear that that could be used for some residential users as well. So, um, for the, I won't be long, but the rest of my talk is just about kind of um, what looking at what London's done, how it's changed during COVID, and what that means for the COVID recovery and possibly for the next 10 years. So, about my slides. Uh, so one of the things that we're going to look at is, um, is one of the things we've seen is that in London more people are cycling. We are seeing uh, greater numbers of cycling and we're seeing greater diversity of cycling and so what that means is more cycle parking is needed everywhere and also we are going to see different types of people are cycling and different types of bikes and people have talked about how these facilities we've seen will be able to adapt to people with heavier bikes, um, how um, people who won't necessarily be able to lift their bikes up, and also more cargo bikes and people using cargo bikes to take their kids to school before uh, they come to work. And it's great to see in these developments these mix of different types of stands and also the flexibility in those spaces that can change over time as we see this sort of change in cyclists. The other thing we're seeing uh, in London and we've seen during lockdown is lots and lots of new cycling infrastructure. We've seen decades of progress in the space of a few months. So before the pandemic, the mayor tripled the amount of segregated cycling space in London in four years. That's now up to five times as much in, in, in only six to eight months, uh, which is great to see. So as we can see, London is changing. So during lockdown, we have seen the mayor and TfL bringing their street space program, which has been lots of emergency measures to um, make more space for active travel. So that's more cycle lanes, that's making footpaths wider so people can walk safely in social distance. A lot more low traffic neighbourhoods, mainly in residential areas, which is just taking all the free traffic and rat running out of areas. Um, but one of the key things is that we're seeing space taken away from motor vehicles and allocated to active travel. And as we move forward into the COVID recovery, we're just going to see more of this. Hopefully we'll see the majority of people who've started to cycle continue to cycle. There will be more cycling and we'll see more infrastructure coming in. There is um, plans for a whole another round of street space emergency measures coming in over the next few months. I'm going to see um, a lot more use of temporary materials. Um, in a photo I would have had, we see nice planters and things being used to, to create these low traffic neighbourhoods. And we're going to see more of that coming in um, to try out different spaces and see what works. Um, and just get more stuff in quickly. Um, I think we're also going to see more low traffic neighbourhoods, not just in residential areas, but coming to town centres and we see things in the city of London trying that around uh, workplace areas. The other thing we're going to see, I think, is a lot more shared mobility. So people using shared e-bikes and shared e-scooter schemes, which are about to go live in London over the next few months. And also we're going to see a lot of people using their own personal e-scooters, even though they're illegal. I think the genie's out the bottle on that one. And we're going to see a lot more of them around. Um, I think one of the things about cycling is that it's, it's, it's the answer to many of the issues facing London. So we all know London's got issues with congestion and air pollution, obesity, childhood obesity, mental health, climate change. 
And cycling is one of the ways that makes this, makes London resilient. So if you create a city where people can cycle when they need to and want to, you have a lot more resilient city. Um, and then one of the things that, uh, that LCC have done and launched over, launched last year was our climate safe streets report. That sort of maps out um, what London needs to do over the next 10 years to sort of mitigate its contribution to, to climate change. Um, and it covers three main things. One is increasing the cycling network, making the network into a proper network where the cycle lanes connect up, the, the neighbourhoods connect up, and people can use um, active travel methods to, to move across the city easily and it doesn't just stop at difficult places or, or junctions and and it's great to hear one of the things that Annie is saying is one of the barriers to um, is the people identify safety and this is one of the things we want to do is make a safe cycling network. Uh, the other thing we're going to see a lot more is about people using shared mobility and having more shared mobility hubs across the city. That's where people can access things like the shared e-bikes and scooters but also access shared electric cars. And this, this should help people move away from the, sort of the norm of owning a car themselves and to using more um, and only getting like a user car when they need to, when they need to move something big or go on long trips or get lots of things. Um, and I think also we're going to see that as well, because there's not going to be enough electric cars to go around for everybody. So people are going to have to start sharing, sharing cars in that sort of way. And the final thing that this, the sort of report calls for is for smart road user charging. And we're already seeing the mayor and TfL um, talking about this with their um, with their plan to charge non-Londoners to come into London, who drive into London, to, and they can charge them to use the road network. Um, and so finally, just going to move on to what London could look like in 10 years time. So our climate safe street reports maps out one of the ways to it. Um, what, what will London look like? And if my slides are working now, I'd have a, a, an amazing slide of uh, Paris and the Champs-Élysées because um, Paris has been quite radical in what it's doing. It's got the radical mayor, it's um, taking a lot of its uh, grand boulevards and space and taking them away from motor traffic and allocating it to people. Um, oh, here you go, here it is. Um, and also they're really championing the 15 city minute, 15 minute city model where that as a resident, everything you need will be within 15 minute cycle ride of where you live. Uh, so that's your workplace will be there, um, all the, the health services you need, your education, your shops. So there isn't need to do long commutes. And I think what we're seeing during COVID is that people do like that sense of community and like using their local spaces. Um, and if you look at Berlin and Milan and New York, they're all going similar sorts of ways. So. London really kind of needs to be as radical as that to, um, to compete with them and because we are competing with those cities for big employers and jobs and for, and for people to live. And I suppose the last thing to think about and, and as, uh, as developers and stuff with um, probably better paid futurologists than we have at LCC is what will London look like after the COVID recovery? What will central London look like? Um, is that big model of big CBDs over? Is, Will, how will London change? And then, and really integral to that is creating space for cycling and walking. Um, that, that's it, thanks very much. Uh, thank you, Stuart. So um, I, actually, I, we're gonna leave that slide up for a minute just to sort of flag that uh, we were covering, we were looking at um, European cities, then actually in session three, that's what we might, might be doing. So, um, and whilst we um, transition from um, there to the Q and A, I wonder, 
Stuart, you've got nearly 300 people um, here, um, some of whom may be LCC members. Those who aren't, um, is there anything that you'd like to tell them? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, the London Cycling Campaign, we're a membership organisation with 12,000 members, and we do a lot of behind the scenes work helping create these successful spaces. So we've done a lot of work during lockdown in Kensington, Chelsea and Westminster, um, around Soho, uh, to try to change these spaces so they're more focused on people and less, less dominated by cars. And we also do a lot of community level work um, uh, to try to drive up that there is support for this change amongst Londoners. Um, and we also do a lot of community and workplace activity to get more people cycling, which is, which is what we're around for. So um, we support communities and workplaces uh, through things like bike mechanics. And we've got a big cycle buddies program where we're trying to pair up new cyclists, returning cyclists, existing cyclists. Um, and also we're doing a lot of work around NHS and hospitals. We think that's one of the key drivers. The more you can get health workers to cycle, the more that um, that has secondary benefits in getting their patients and people to cycle. Um, and we're always happy to work with any new partners and we just want to work with people to get more cyclists in London. So thanks Stuart. If anybody does want to um, make contact then they could do it through um, ourselves and um, we'll put you in contact with uh, Stuart and the team and if you're pretty savvy you'll just find the LCC site and uh, uh, route through to there. So um, uh, there's another poll for you. Um, uh, we've designed a couple of polls. One was very sort of people-centric and the other is sort of projects-centric. Uh, so why don't you have a look at that during the uh, Q&A uh, session um, and at this point um, I'm just going to bring Melissa in to um, your questions have been flying in and hopefully she's managed to put make some semblance of order of them um, and I don't know if you want to kick in now with some of those questions Melissa. Hi yeah thank you for all of your questions it's been really interesting reading how people think about the what the panelists have been saying and thank you for the panelists it's really interesting um just as a slight aside sorry neil but um i have been informed by the way that there's a competition going on on twitter for a retour mug apparently the best post of people enjoying retour that's got the hashtag that was mentioned earlier i believe it's retour cycle cycle that's it um we've got a couple of people from our team who are looking out and checking out the best ones so please tweet away um and uh We'll, we'll see who wins that. Um, there have been a number of questions and I've, I've kind of narrowed them down. So if yours doesn't get asked, I'm really sorry. Um, mainly actually one that's come up a lot of times and this really goes to Annie and Max primarily, although actually also uh, Rob and David, I'm sure you could answer it, is how do you provide for wet kit? You can tell there's a lot of cyclists on here because that is a question that's come up multiple times. How do you make provisions for wet kit, particularly on a day like today where it's horrible? And have you got any guidance on that or is there any guidance that you follow? Sure. Shall I take that, Neil? Sorry. Yeah. Um, so at 22, we have um, mechanically ventilated drying cupboards, um, which are slightly different to the drying rooms that um, I believe Rob and David have. But um, yeah, in terms of guidelines, uh, perhaps Rob or David are a better placed to explain a bit around that. Uh, yeah, the, there aren't really... I've not, or at least I've not come across specific guidelines in terms of what kind of needs to get provided. I think the the challenge is always that element of how you, what type of kit is actually being dry because it's quite different drying uh, someone's lycra, for instance, who might be more of a uh, kind of uh, one particular type of cyclist versus someone who might have come in in kind of chinos and jeans and things like that as well. So it's always quite 
quite a challenge. I think ideally, probably like you've done in terms of the uh, drying cupboards that you have, it's quite a good idea. But I think a lot of it's also quite challenging in terms of spatial provisions. Mm. I think trying to trying to provide a, I guess it's like most things actually trying to provide a variety of provisions because some people may not also actually want to hang their uh, clothes up in communal areas as well. So it's something that I think everyone probably needs to uh, think about a bit, bit more closely and work out a way. I know early on on the project when we were working with uh, Tim and Stuart, the clients, it was thinking whether actually there could be a scenario where it's almost like a concierge service where if someone comes in in the morning, whether they can actually hand items of clothing off to almost like a dry cleaners potentially mm -hmm. where they could be dealt with during the day. So actually as provisions start developing more like the gym style environment and we've obviously got that with towel provisions now it could be that it actually moves a lot further and becomes almost like a, a concierge service effectively so it gets, gets a bit more like a hospitality environment yeah we spoke Max, to you want to come in yeah i think the i think the point about layering services on is really interesting i mean we open spaces in car parks so we have a very very defined remit which is focusing on the core thing of providing people a space for people to park their bikes and people then typically go into their offices and they can shower and hang their clothing there we obviously have lockers for personal goods and we have rails to hang up clothes and dry communally um, but one of the things we're working on uh, generally as a business is how do we <clears throat> provide more services through the platform that make the experience better for the cyclist um, and that could be bringing in insurance to the proposition that could be uh, partnering with a bike repair company to get people's bikes fixed while they're in situ. And that could also mean um, incorporating third party laundry services like a laundrap, for example, so that this space becomes a, a platform for basically doing the things that you need to do in your everyday life rather than just parking and going. So I think it's, it's again, it's space as a service, which I think was mentioned earlier and is probably the space that we want to get to eventually. David, do you want to come in? Yeah, I think it's also worth saying that um, Annie's uh, a bit of a trailblazer at the moment because 22 was one of the first of the big new uh, buildings with the big scaled up bike facilities, uh, which came with the London plan, came with various local authority initiatives. And so, um, and we were, I was listening with interest and I'm sure that uh, there's a number of things that we've just discussed on Ropemaker will be translated into services, as Rob said. And I know that Tim, our client, is looking into uh, the management regime at the moment. So, so I, think, I think all the buildings are learning as they go along on these big scale ones. And Annie's, um, it was very interesting to see all that stuff. Um, and we'll, that's, we'll make it, it'll just make it better and better. I think the differentiator for us was because we had the big prelet, and it's worth saying that the cycling provision in the building was a big attractor on the prelet. Uh, to Linklaters, um, who a, num a large number of their partners cycle in, um, and their current facilities are terrible, and so so this was a big attractor for them, um, and so so it is worth saying that. But we had to work hard to make it all fit, and I think where you have the big prelets, um, you've got to allow a bit of flexibility um, in the numbers, despite depending on what the stat numbers are, to to make sure you've got enough to work work for the rest of the building. Thanks, David. Before we get to the next question, I'll just reflect on when we first started the discussion with BCO in 2012. If you'd said drying rooms, yeah, we have come on an awfully long way. And even I had a discussion the other day about separated male and female drying rooms and different types of kit. I mean, we are getting quite sophisticated now. Melissa. Um, so this, thank you, by the way, all of you. There, are, there have been a lot of mentions now of drying rooms on the um, 
on the Q&A, so we'll maybe have a look at that after this. Um, but the next question I have kind of has some follow-up parts, but it's really about the amount of space, particularly, particularly at Ropemaker and Bishopsgate, which is, is the space sort of paid for through service charge just for tenants and limited just to them? Or would extra space be used to generate income? Also, is there space for visitors and how do you monitor that? We're the follow-up sort of bit. Sorry, I'll ask it all in one and then you can answer it however you like. Um, but the follow-up bit is, given that we're talking about a lot of people uptaking active commuting, it sounds like you have so many spaces right now, but if all of them get taken up, is there provision for overflow or is that the, the limit? Has that been thought about or, or not? I don't know who wants to take that first. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first on the overflow and then potentially David and Annie might be able to talk about the, uh, the management of the spaces. Uh, you're completely right in terms of overflow. I mean, uh, at Roadmaker, we, uh, the number of spaces was based upon the London plan. So that obviously determines that as a minimum, you, I think from memory, it's one space for every 90 square meters of letable office space. Uh, that kind of gave us a number of, I think it's about 750. And then actually thinking about how cycling is getting more and more popular, we then increase that by utilizing folding bike lockers and other provisions scale up to 800 but i think it is a bit of a challenge now that how you create a space that's ultimately flexible to get more bikes in if they're used but conversely also there could be occasions during winter where you could end up with spaces where it's not really being utilized that much and actually the inverse might be the case as well where you might actually want to have a space where you could almost push bike spaces away and have an area that could be utilized for other factors as well. But I guess with most office developments, it's a case of there's only a finite amount of space that kind of be provided. So it's really the challenge of being smart and efficient with the types of provisions that are actually being provided really. Annie, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, to have, have more people um, actively commuting than, than the space that we have, I think is, would be a great, great problem to have and one that there's lots of emerging businesses like Maxis that can can help um to, to resolve in the short term but yeah it, it's um we've over our capacity is um 1700 so slightly more than than the one to ten for now um in terms of its use it is for um occupiers our occupiers we do our access is is digital so we can open that up to um put being access for our visitors as well for our occupiers visitors um so they can uh, easily access that through our digital platform um, and also our brompton uh hire facility is in our main or is planning to be into in our main lobby space as well so um accessible for our visitors and occupiers so yeah in terms of its use predominantly for our occupiers and their guests um but who knows what the future holds in terms of sharing spaces. It's just, I've, and another question I noticed was there is a seasonal nature to this. There's no getting away from it. There's less cyclists in January than there would be in June. So um, there needs to be some flexibility in that. And I think that's something that we, as Rob said, that there is planning cycling areas. In our case, partly because of the prelet, we've now settled it. But I think if you had a blank sheet, you might make them a bit more movable in the future so that you could repurpose some spaces um, that's worth thinking about for the future. Sure, did you want to come in? Yeah and I think that's one of the things to remember as well is the reallocation of some space around the buildings as well for things like 
shared e-bike schemes so that people can use that and things like with Max's um, uh, cycle on street or on pavement cycle parking. I think if we look at removal of, of on street cycle parking, which is mainly done in the city, but other areas it hasn't, that also creates space for people to leave bikes uh, as well. Before Max comes in, one of the buildings we saw um, in one of our previous tours had dedicated space for tenants and then was letting out space to others as well to allow it sort of flexibility to take on that extra capacity. Max, did you want to come in? Yeah, I mean, I think a large part of what we're focusing on this year is going to be working with landlords to help them manage and monetize that space because you are going to have, I mean, if I look at the usage of my site, even if you have 100 people notionally taking up the spaces, they're probably 50 to 75% occupied at any one point in time because people go on holiday and they don't cycle into the office every day. So you might have one building where there's sufficient provision of space and then an office building next door to it, which has absolutely no cycle parking and probably won't have any cycle parking added for the foreseeable future unless it gets knocked down and redeveloped. So what we're trying to do is trying to make use of resource where it exists and open that up to the public and do that in a really efficient way to help the help cyclists get in and find a way to park, but help the people that are building the space actually monetize that space as well, because, you know, building this space is not cheap. Um, I think the question of how it gets paid for is, is true. It probably gets washed through the service charge to a certain extent. Um, from an occupier perspective, the idea behind having SpokeSafe manage the facility is that if you were to cycle out of your office and go to a meeting on the other side of, the ta of town, you would have access to a network of spaces to park your bike on the, end of the other end of the journey. So it's not just about parking in a specific building, it's about facilitating movement around the city in its entirety. And we'd hope to be able to do that by working more directly with landlords in addition to building out our own spaces. Thank you, Max. What I'm going to do, Melissa, is um, give the sort of wrap up um, round the panel uh, question at this point, if you don't mind. Um, so um, we did, we've mentioned the word future quite a bit, and I did a sort of look back at how things have moved on since 2012. But um, and I'll call out your name because they're appearing on my um, panel in a certain order. But what is it? One thing about the future that you think we're going to see over the next five to ten years that you know is going to drastically change the landscape? Um, so Rob first, and that gives the others plenty of time to think about it. Oh, thanks. Uh, obviously, very difficult one to predict, but I think really it's uh, the, the future is really just going to be the sheer uptake in numbers of people commuting. I think the past uh, nine to 12 months with uh, COVID and people getting more and more on bike and bikes and also things that Stuart and TfL are doing to improve cycling in London is just the case that more and more people are going to cycle and actually how developments and cities are going to cater for that number of bikes. It's great to see what Paris is starting to look at with uh, creating better streets and I think that's really, particularly in London, what's going to happen with the widening of uh, streets for cyclists and, and pedestrians and that as well and start moving away from car transport but actually yeah. like we just talked about how we can get those into developments and onto areas. Annie? Um, for me, I think, I hope, deliveries by bike, um, something that we are obviously working very closely with the city on with our uh, consolidation requirements. And what we're learning even from just a year ago and we're seeing is more and more businesses adapting um, for consolidation requirements in the city by providing deliveries by cargo bike, um, which can carry up to 150 kgs these days. Um, so, yeah, hopefully more and more deliveries by bike. 
and less deliveries by big vehicles at big times. David, sorry, sorry, Annie. David. Um, I think probably as a as. Max kindly suggested older people use electric bikes. Well, I'm one of them, uh, and so is my client actually. And so um, we, I think, more uptake of electric electrics will become a bit more because at the moment they're quite premium. Um, but uh, I think more electrics will allow a wider range of people to commute, and uh, in my case, enjoy it uh, a lot. So that's been a real silver lining of the pandemic for me. Um, so I, I think that's probably the main the main thing I, I could see uh, changing in the future. Stuart and uh, Max in that order, 30 seconds each. Um, I think I could, the cities can change quite radically quite quickly and I think London could, could do that and we'll see a lot more space for walking and cycling and lesser motor vehicles and I think we'll start to see London looking a bit more like Amsterdam or Copenhagen or Berlin in the, in the types of cyclists we see. I'd say less lycra and more people cycling in normal clothes. Here, here, Max. Um, my one's on smart infrastructure. I think we'll see a big shift in how the infrastructure is built and delivered and accessed over the next five to 10 years. Sp space is one of the most expensive things in big cities and we need to make more efficient use of it. Well, thank you uh, to the panel for those answers and also for your participation over the last hour. I hope everybody's joined it, uh, enjoyed it, sorry. Um, and thank you to, I've been watching the uptick in the numbers, um, nearly 300 people who've um, joined us this afternoon. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it, that you'll tell your friends and you'll share that on uh, social media. Uh, the next one, as I mentioned, will cover the UK, 25th of February at uh, five o'clock, same time, hoping to cover Cardiff, Manchester, Newcastle, Cambridge and Glasgow. If anybody of you want to share any of your projects, uh, do let us know. Um, and you'll be seeing a screen shortly, which will give you contact details for George. Um, as George and Sarah have done such a good job, um, I've decided to give them a name check now, rather than the beginning. Um, so thank you to George and Sarah in the background. Um, link to next one, as I say, will be coming up, and you'll get an email in 24 hours. The slides will be available. There'll be a write-up on the website, and it's going to be covered in Velocity magazine as well. So Toby and David, um, a nod to you. So chapeau to everybody. Um, those of you who are moving over to our sister channel um, with Ned Bolting and Nick Hanmer, enjoy that. But thank you very much and hope you'll join us next time. Cheerio. Mm -hmm.